Now, the impact that the seven days had on me mentally was insane. I had to leave the village. I went to Paris. I was just not in a good frame of mind because it was. I was disappointed. It was difficult. Welcome to Wellbeings, the podcast that keeps you cool, calm, and connected with your host, Dominic Bowden. Welcome back to Wellbeings. I'm Dominic Bowden, and this really is an exciting episode. It's the first ever Kiwi we have interviewed, and it was a pleasure to spend time with the force that is Dame Valerie Adams, of course, one of New Zealand's most successful Olympic athletes of all time. These last few episodes have been all about connection. We as Kiwis have been connected and proud of Valerie for the past two decades as she's represented our little corner of the world on the biggest stage there is. I think to stay at the top of your game in any sport for 22 years is one thing, but to time and time again break through the status quo is another. She has dominated on both these fronts throughout her life. The latter is where Valerie is directing all of her energy after retiring earlier this year. From the passing of her mum at age 15, right through to becoming a mum herself with two kids and winning an Olympic medal at the age of 37. We talked about the public scrutiny that could have held her back at every step along the way. How did she break through those barriers to become the woman that she is today? This really is a masterclass on how to be your own biggest supporter, as well as a window into the mind of one of our greatest athletes. What is the mental chat like on Olympic finals day? What are the rituals, the daily habits, the routines that she swears by, and how she channeled those skills into showing up for her community in the most incredible way? We dig into it all, and we had the opportunity, thanks to her amazing movie, More Than Gold, which is in cinemas right now, which I loved. Really, this was one of the most rewarding interviews I've done. I was inspired. I was kind of shocked at points at what she's been through. And now I'm just excited to share it with you. So please enjoy this powerful conversation with the one and only Dame Valerie Adams. And if this is your first time listening to Wellbeings, please subscribe, connect with us. It's been an epic journey so far. We are loving it. And just before we start, a word from our friends who have made this all possible. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Valerie, I got to say, I'm so excited to be to be doing this with you. I remember watching those Olympic Games, uh, you walking out onto the field, that big smile. So for me, where I'd love to start is, you know, what were the big challenges for you at the start of the game uh, when you had all this ambition, but at that point, you know, you you hadn't yet had that success on the world stage. For me, it was trying to fit in. Uh, you know, athletics was a sport that was um, dominated by. Um, White males, white middle class, um, white middle aged males, right? So I had to try and fit into to what athletics was. Polynesians are probably more seen to do play basketball, you know, netball, rugby, like team sports. Never athletics, but for me it was a fitting in, but b uh, making sure that I um, stayed true to who I was and where I came from. Because you can take the girl out of Mangere, but you can't take the Mangere out of the girl, and that's one thing that I was, you know, very true to. 
be able to to continue that um, throughout my career and even to today. I still remember where I came from, who I am, my humble beginnings from no money to now being able to feed myself whatever the hell I want. It's a big difference and it's a big lifestyle change. However, um, it has you know taught me to be grateful, to be um, appreciative of everything and every opportunity that comes your way. So fitting in was always quite difficult, um, but as they say, as you become more successful, as you become more confident and, you know, have a bit more self-esteem, you become more um, comfortable and, and, and being able to gel with these other people that's in your sport. But it, this didn't happen overnight. It took a long time for me to be able to do that. I think for a lot of people, they um, see successful people and they don't understand the struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, when you are, were younger and you're trying to fit in and you kind of you're still wanting to push yourself and still believing in your heart that, hey, maybe this kid from Mangere mm-hmm. could go all the way. But I think there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this and going, yeah, but that's not my story. You know, I could never have that outcome. No, you're right. My, my story is not anybody else's, but it's actually not, um, this is adaptable to anything in life. It's about breaking the bias. It's about um, breaking that cycle that we grow in up to thinking this is normal. No, you can actually have something better if you want it, you know, nobody can force you to have it, but it's about being prepared to work for it, making goals, um, getting the right support network around you. People are going to support your journey. Those are, all those things are important, but they're not available to everybody. You know, for myself, when I lost my mother at the age of 15, I had to find my feet real quick um, on my own from a very young age. But I truly believe that, you know, there are so many more Valerie Adamses out there in South and all around the world. There are so many more amazing uh, people to, to come out of my community. But it's just a matter of them, you know, being prepared to work hard and being prepared to set goals that, you know, it is going to be tough. But if it was easy, you'll have a, a lot more gold medalists out there. But that's just not the aim of the game. But it's about making those small changes, breaking the bias, breaking the cycle and looking for something better for them in their future. I think that right now we're in this amazing crossroads where people are asking themselves more questions, they're communicating better. I'm interested to know though, you know, back in the start of your career, or even just when you were a kid in Mangere, mm-hmm. what were the practices, if any, that people were doing to look after themselves mentally? You know, I think now we're so much more aware that you go to the gym for your body, but you need to put effort in for your mind as well. I mean, how much has it changed? I'm so intrigued to, to, to get your take on how much we have evolved. To be honest, it's a um, lot less than that, as in like probably three, four, five years ago. And the attitude of New Zealand, the attitude that was thrown around was, she'll be right. For a very long, very long time, take a concrete pill, you'll be right. You know, are you made out of brown sugar? Are you going to melt? Those were the comments that came out. And that's what I grew up with. My career was pretty much, she'll be right, move on, you know, carry on, take a concrete pill, harden up. That was the take of, that was the advice that was given to me. That was the the norm, I, I guess, around my environment. But what happened with that, right? I did become stronger. I did become tougher. I just got up and got up and kept going when shit hit the fan, because that's what you were hmm. told to do. So you would, I guess, carry on as per usual, knowing full well there's probably a whole bunch of stuff I need to unfold, I need to unpack, I need to deal with this a bit better. But what you do is just end up, you basically put it in the pigeonhole and you just keep going. Because why? you got a next championship here, you got a next Commonwealth Games here, you got to keep going. There's no choice. One of the things that I got a little bit as well was, you're not good enough. You, you yeah. could never go over there and succeed. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get any of that? Oh, absolutely. But did I listen to it? Hell no. 
and that's and that's and that's where the should be right thing come from was I fought so hard to be the best at what I was doing from a very young age. A because I lost my mother at fifteen, I needed to find myself and something in my life for for my future. But B, this is actually a love and a passion for me. So I actually loved going to athletics training on my own and all the rest of it because it gave me somewhat some type of joy, but it helped me um, deal with the grief I was going through with losing my mum. Therefore, at that time, this mental um, space or getting help within that space from a professional would have been ideal. But because it wasn't available, what do you do? You go to training, you set the next goal of going to world championships, you then you go to world youth championships, then you break all these records. And, and at the time, everybody's like, whoo-hoo, amazing, hip, hip, hooray. And it was great, but that losing my mum impacted pretty much my life for a very long time after that because it wasn't dealt with properly. It was, I should be right. And from 15, I grew up to be a pretty mature person pretty quickly because I had to look after myself. I think for a lot of people, they go through trauma and it can colour their life in a way that it's hard for them to come back from. You know, people go through trauma, people go through in, incredible adversity, and it's in some ways how you act in that moment that will define what you become. Because there's there's another storyline, there's another lane where that happens to you and you're like, nah, I'm done. Like, I, I haven't got the energy. I've got to look after my family, my many siblings, you know. So as a kid... How did you have that in your in your heart? How did you have that in there to be able to go, no, I'm not going to give this up. I'm actually going to keep going and I'm going to keep going all the way to the top. My mum was my inspiration. Like, and I really, really, my dream was to make her proud. She was alive for six months and that was of, of my career, so to speak. It wasn't really a career back then, but I had six months of athletics before she passed away. And the breaking point for me was watching the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympic Games on the 15th of September at the hospice while she was right next to me, thinking to myself, like I was a young 15-year-old looking at it going, oh my gosh, one day I want to be there. Like, you know, dreams are free, right? So you're looking at it, done the sport for six months, like what can you do? Very next morning um, on the 16th of September, my mum passed away in my arms. So it was at that very moment that I decided that this is what I'm going to do. And because she was a big part of that that, that drive and that motivation, I was determined to make her happy. She was 39 when she passed away, but I was so determined to make her happy because I wanted to make her proud. And, and, and that's what carries you forward. But you're right, you know, grief is one of these things where it could go either way. That I could have been determined, but, you know, the road could have been super difficult. And then I'd be like, oh, no, that's right. I'll just do what everybody else is doing, go on a doll, have some babies, single mother, solo parent, yada, yada. You know what I mean? Like, take this route here, which was my environment to my community. That was the norm. Where this right here was a, a bit out of the blue, like I, I needed to work really hard to make this this journey work for me. And I did, but I, I, I give it to my mum, like I owe it to my mother for being that inspiration and being that drive for me. I was a young 15-year-old, my life could have gone either way, but she was the main point that, um, that really encouraged me to do what I got to do. And I needed to use utilise the six foot four humongous Tongan woman uh, talent you know these these this genetic makeup needed to do something and sports was a big part of our life you know I played basketball my whole family you know does sports so that also I guess was an advantage or a help and a good push towards what I really wanted to do in life 
Well, I think it shows that it's not about just being uh, get, getting all the accolades and having enough money. Uh, there was something else there. And I think with all great athletes, when you dig a little deeper, you find that there's something below the surface which is really driving them. And I think it's, it's an interesting place to jump off to you being a mother now, you know, and mm-hmm. you wanting to show up for your kids, uh, especially, I'm sure, using your mother as somewhat of an uh, inspiration in that space. So in this world that we live in now, as the incredible work you've been able to do on yourself, both physically and mentally, what is the big way you think that has serviced you in a positive way as a mother? I guess you learn to be more resilient along the way. Um, I mean, I, I owe it to the teachings I was given at a young age. The one thing I do regret now being being a mum is not having my own mum to ask advice from, to to be able to share her tips and tricks on, on raising a child. But I'm very fortunate I've got my mother-in-law to, to step in on that. But I just... I just hope to be um, half the woman she was to be able to be a great example for my own children. It's not always easy, but it's one, I think, with society, the way it's going now and the world that we live in, it's going to get tougher and tougher tougher for our children as they grow up because they're more exposed to a lot of things around the world. So we have to try and do our best now as parents to set a good example for them so they know there's a you know, very... Um, secure home with loving parents who are able to help and advise them where you can. But at the end of the day, you know, you can only do so much as a parent as well. So you got to give them the best chance you can. Where to go from there? Because I, I know one of the things that we're going to talk about is something that's really hurting our communities uh, and society in a whole as a whole, right? And that is um, diabetes. It's not something that you're trying to push forward as an ambassador for it. It's something that's actually touched your life directly. So for anyone out there that doesn't really know uh, how you've been affected by this, can you just quickly tell us that story? Uh, yeah, so my son, Kepaleli, has uh, type 1 diabetes. Um, he was diagnosed in 2019 on the 19th of July, and he was 15 months old when he was diagnosed. And um, being a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic mom now, it's actually been a massive uh, life change for us as a family because so, so much has, um, has had to happen within that time. And it was a bit of a punch in the face, to be brutally honest, when, uh, when he was diagnosed because all of a sudden we had to mourn the life we were going to have with our child and welcome another, like the new life we were embarking on now because there's a big difference between the two. You know, you worry about everything that goes into his mouth, everything that goes into his mouth, which could impact his levels, which is uh, very, very draining uh, for us as a family. But it's one that has um, taken us on a journey that we would, you know, we have to embark on, but one we have embraced as a family regardless of how difficult it is. Yeah, I was going to say one of the words that always shows up for me is acceptance, uh, accept what comes our way, but it doesn't make it any easier when something like this comes your way, right? So you're a mother, you've got a beautiful, healthy boy, and everything looks rosy, and then something like this comes along. Again, we talk about challenge, we talk about overcoming adversity. You know, In that moment, completely separate from you as an athlete, how did you find what you needed to find to go, we got this? Like it broke my heart to be like I cried a lot of tears when it happened because, you know, you you always want to protect your children, right? You always don't want anything to happen to them. So you want to take it on. 
um, on board yourself. But for me was I am uh, just the way I'd lived my life for such a long time, being organized, make sure things were on time, make sure, you know, his food was carb counter, nutrition was on point, et cetera, et cetera. It was all part of my life beforehand, but now I've had to implement it more into his life um, while still remembering that he is a child with diabetes. He's not a diabetic. You know, so instead of, you know, people identifying your kid as, oh, that's a diabetic one. No, no, no. He is a child first and he has diabetes mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, along the way um, we take the opportunity to educate people. Because when you say diabetes to majority, they just think, oh, type two. So then you get the whole, um, oh, what have you been feeding him? Like, you know, what did you do to him? Et cetera, et cetera. So it kind of was a bit of a... A tough moment for us as a family or as parents because we got that a lot when he was diagnosed with people not realising there is a big difference between the two. I think that's one of the big things that we all need to do less of is just jumping to conclusions and labelling people, right? It happens so much. It's like, oh, yeah, that's I know exactly why that's happened. It's your fault and, you know, X, Y, Z. And... Even as someone who is, uh, I think, got a good level of patience, you know, <laughs> I'm sure on some level, to some people, you're like, do some research, you know, do your homework, understand what you're saying to me, because you are so far off the mark. How do you keep your cool? You know, I don't know uh, if I'd be able to do that as a dad. You know, how do you keep your cool? You're a public figure, I guess. Um, so that, has, <laughs> that adds to it. But it's, it, it is... You, you do keep your cool because it's an opportunity to educate, right? It's an opportunity to educate. Mm. And for me, it's about making sure that um, people don't just brush your your kid off just because they've got diabetes or just not invite them to certain things because he's hard work or in the too hard basket, which is quite common. Has that happened? No, because we only have um, parties with our family right at, at, at yeah. this stage you know he's still to go to school and all the rest of it which then will open up a, a, f- a few more doors for him but I hope that um, people will embrace it at the same time because I mean it, it is scary if you if you're not across it but it is very manageable and people can jump on board and help us manage this because it does take a village however at the moment for us as a family we have like two people who can look after our son within our family only because they don't have um they're not confident enough or you know, they're worried about doing something wrong but um for us is to continue to empower them and encourage them to to take a chance and just they're going to be okay show them like the simple things mm. to do and then hopefully later on they'll be a bit more confident to take them on you talk about resilience i mean you you don't really get a better example of that than kids mm-hmm. you know and i and i <laughs> yep. think it's incredibly brave first of all for you to come on and be talking about this sort of stuff because it's not about you the public figure uh, or about you the athlete and the olympic record holder this is about you the human you know and so i know education is core and it's one of the main reasons why i wanted to talk to you here today because we want to educate people we want to un- we want them to understand the difference between the, the, the types of, of diabetes, but also that there are things we can do to be better and live better. Uh, and so I think that it's a real problem, um, as you know, um, but, but within the Pacific Island community, within the Māori community, and I think you're a real ambassador and I want, really want to help amplify your voice. So, you know, what are the things that we should be thinking about, both as a community and, and also for, for people listening that want to want to live better and thrive? Uh, so 
just my son is very resilient. Talk about that resilient piece. He is so resilient. I'm so proud of him. We've gone from injecting him five five to six times a day to now he's on a pump, which is great. And technology has been absolutely wonderful for that. So I'm grateful for that. For me, it's um, actually that, you know, the, the difference between the two, and this is from a mum's knowledge, nothing, you know, no professionals, et cetera. It's actually type one, your pancreas is pretty much damaged, does not supply the body with insulin. So when you eat food, the pancreas releases the insulin and then it kind of processes the glucose. When you are type two, mm. it does still release insulin. However, it's not as efficient because um, the diet that you may have had or et cetera, et cetera, has damaged your, um, your, your pancreas to some degree, but it's just not functioning as well as it should be. And that's probably the most simplest way to explain to people the difference between the two. Gepaleli was born with his uh, pancreas basically like that, being damaged, where type 2 develops over time and um, becomes less effective over time, and that is caused by poor diet. Um, that's the difference. And it's actually quite a big difference, and I really hmm. wish type 1 diabetes was had a different name and not be called yeah. diabetes because then you can separate the two completely, but unfortunately that's just the way it is, type 1, type 2. When you're speaking to people that are listening, they either know someone that's going through a type two mm-hmm. diabetes. What do you think uh, is our responsibility as a community? How can we support each other? Uh, and also, like some people don't have to accept the way that it is, and I think that's a really important piece to remember. Uh, and I think maybe that is something you can speak on as an athlete, right? It's like if you want things to be different, you do have the power sometimes to change it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Within the Pacific Island Maori community, sometimes it is like, oh, you got type 2. Oh, ha, 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 ha. It's it's like almost like the norm. Uh, my mother had diabetes, uh, type 2. You know, a lot of my family members have type 2. But it's actually um, thinking of the future, how this impacts your family, yourself, and actually realizing that you can reverse this. There are means and ways of doing it. If A, you acknowledge it, and B, you're prepared to to put in the work to help reverse this, right? I've seen some family members of mine get like blind in the eye, amputation, but these are all the impacts of this illness, which is horrendous and nobody should have to go through that. But it is an opportunity to be able to make those changes and and, and make a difference to you in your life because ultimately it's not just for you. Well, you have to do it for you ultimately, but also your family is right behind you and you should be able to, to, I guess, draw motivation, draw inspiration from these little faces who are standing behind you, say, hey, mommy, daddy, like, I need you here. I want you here. Let's do this together as a family. But yes, it does definitely, it, it, it would be easier if the village gets involved and be a part of this movement. But we also got to mm. acknowledge the fact that, you know, cost of living impacts this, you know, the way what people eat and how they eat impacts um this in particular and it's not easy it is definitely not easy and it's more common in low low income areas right yeah uh south auckland quite common yeah and and that's where i was brought up so for us for me it's like the norm it was completely the norm to see auntie uncle grandma grandpa all have diabetes but it's not the norm and it shouldn't be the norm and we shouldn't accept it to be the norm you know, when you say like people are almost laughing about it, oh well, yeah, got it. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a joke. It's 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 almost how has it got to that? Now, what why do you think people um, make fun of it in that way? Why do people make light of it? You know, rather than sort of almost fronting up to the elephant in the room. You know, mm-hmm. to be honest, it's probably the how it's just the way they deal with it. I mean, 
people deal with things differently and laughing it off and, and making a big joke is sometimes how people deal with the situation. Now, they might be feeling something else and feeling that, you know, privately, but out in the open, uh, that's how they deal with it because maybe it's easier to accept it or easier for everybody else around them to accept it just by laughing it off. Mm. But I just hope that, you know, especially if you can catch it earlier, especially if you're on, on when you go to the doctors and they tell you, hey, listen, you're the early stages of you possibly getting type 2 diabetes. I'm hoping that a light switch goes off in their brain that make, that gives them that opportunity now to make those changes to be able to stop them from getting over that line because you don't want that finish line. You want that finish line to piss off. That's what you want. You don't want to finish that race. You want hmm. to start a, a new race. But it's not always easy because that does take money. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes um, the community and your family around you to accept and, and help that journey. But reality is you've probably got another three other people in the house with type 2 diabetes. So how do we make those changes um, you know, within the community, within the country? How do we do that? Mm. The judgment, I think, is a big thing, but it is also around what can we do as a society? You know, how can we support people that um, are maybe don't have enough money to eat natural, organic, clean food? Is, do you have any comment on that? I mean, on the, on the largest sort of responsibility of society and, and New Zealand as, as a community? We all have the power to make a choice, right? We all have a choice uh, to make, and it's about making those small choices and making small changes. If this is something that you want, you know, you can't force someone to say, hey, don't get diabetes, don't eat that, don't do this, don't, because people don't actually like being told what to do. Let's just be, let's put it out <laughs> there, black and white. But if they believe in it, if they are, you know, empowered, if they are encouraged, then we have a better chance of them making those small changes. But to be able to have people around them that are, that, that are a good example, have things accessible to them, then we have a better chance of helping them. It's not always easy, mm. but I think we also must take responsibilities for ourselves as humans and as people. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. we got a great opportunity here in the fact that we're talking to you, right? I mean, what an opportunity to get some almost personal training uh, <laughs> advice. If I'm someone right now who thinks... I think I could suffer from this in the future. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm at a crossroad, you know, and you, they were sitting in front of you and they came to you for some advice. They know that you've had this incredible success on the world stage, but it's also something that your family is prone to. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what would you say to them? I'd say congratulations for taking that first step. Well done you for even being here. And then secondly, it's actually, you know, digging, digging in a bit deeper as to what changes need to happen. But they're not big changes, making them smaller changes that are more sustainable. You know, nobody's all about that strict diet bullshit. No, it's actually about having something that's sustainable and everything in moderation. But it's not about depriving people, because let's be honest here, let's face it. 
in the Pacific, we have amazing food, which has a lot of starch and fat, all the rest of it. It's actually not saying you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't eat this. No, everything in moderation. You can have that, but let's just not have too much of that. Maybe let's have that once a week. Or, you know, we just actually have to give them the tools to be able to make the choices for themselves and give the responsibility back to them. But it's not depriving them of it because I don't know if you like being told what to do, Dom. I certainly don't like to be told what to do. And I certainly don't like to be told what to eat because food, got to remember and acknowledge, food brings families together. When we all meet up, what do we do? We eat. Everybody brings kai and we sit down and we all, it's all on the table and we sit and eat because that's just our culture. That's just what we do as a family. But how do we make that experience a bit more better for our health? Maybe more salads on the table, on the table, maybe having, you know, um, swapping out some cream as opposed, you know, using something out, an alternative to cream or an alternative to this, that and the other. There are other ways to make those small changes, but we have to acknowledge the fact that it's not about strict diet, everything in moderation, but it's just giving them the tools and educating and giving them all the resources we can under the sun and letting them decide on, on what they want to do for their future. I so relate to not being told what to do. <laughs> I think that we all right now kind of know we need to maybe hit the reset. And it's not just about nutrition. It's about movement. It might be about the mental clutter. I mean, I know that, you know, working in the industry I work in, it's a confidence game, you know, and you've got a, a lot of noises in the monkey mind, you know, but then everyone's telling me, well, you should do this. you got to try that. You know, you're not doing enough of this. Mm-hmm. And I think as Kiwis especially, you know, uh, and here in America, they're, they're a little bit more, I guess, open to new modalities. In New Zealand, it's really hard. People are like wellness, you know, yoga or, sorry, meditation, <laughs> you know, veganism or whatever the word is. There's a lot of words within the space uh, of wellness that are very triggering for Kiwis. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who I'm sure has come across so many different modalities that have worked for you throughout your career. Um, how do we get people to be open? Because someone once said to me, that's the best advice you can have when it comes to your, to your well-being is just be open, try new things. It's actually creating the environment, uh, you know, within the community and it's your safe space for them to be open because it's quite overwhelming for someone who's never been to the gym, who has never done a workout or has never been active or physical to feel, you know, anxious, nervous, don't even want to put themselves out there. It's about creating that environment that's safe. It's a safe space for them to come out and, and give it a go without any judgment at all. But safe spaces are, are very, very important to get someone started because you don't need people looking and eyeballing and making comments about the way you look or how you feel or, you know, or, you know, what you should be doing, etc. They I'm sure they know internally what needs to happen. It's just a matter of taking that first step forward. But a safe space is so important. And you see groups doing things around South Auckland. You you, you do see gyms trying to create um, safe uh, environments for people to come into, and which is awesome. We just need more of that. And we just need more people mm. to, to come into those spaces. One thing that showed up for me as I was listening to you talk, you know, where you come from doesn't define you. But I'm, I'm interested to to know when was the feeling of overwhelm when did it show up the most for you when you're on the world stage when you're a young kid and you're walking out say of the field uh, at an olympic games Mm -hmm. and you look at these huge countries that you're up against like proper two three hundred million you know population countries and then you're kind of hold on 
well, do I deserve to have a seat at this table? You know, is there one specific moment that you can remember where you're just like, man, that was it. That was the one where I looked around like, what am I doing here? Yeah, I would have to say Beijing, the Olympic Games in Beijing. Uh, that's when I really felt like I belong, like I was here to do some damage. Um, that this young girl from South Auckland has made it all the way to these Olympic Games. And granted, it was my second Olympic Games because the first Olympic Games, I still felt like I didn't belong. I was there as a young 18-year-old and it was very overwhelming, like, holy shit, these people and Russians and Belarusians. And it was like, oh, my gosh. But 2008, I was like, yep, I got this. And for the next 10 years, I became unbeatable. For the next 10 years, people were chasing me. From little old New Zealand, the Russians, the Belarusians, the Americans, you know, from all of Chinese, they were all chasing little old New Zealand here. And I was the runner and they were the chaser for a very long time. And it was the best feeling ever because, again, where you come from doesn't define who you are or what your performances should be. Because New Zealand is not known for throwing the shot put. Not at all. We are, that's China, that's Russia, that's Belarus, you know, Germany, that's their event, that's their sport. Not anymore, honey. <laughs> <laughs> ten, 10 years, I mean, when you, when you say it out loud and you just think about being dominant in any sport for even one year, let alone for a decade, how does that sit with you now looking back, knowing that that's in your storybook? That's your, t- that's your tale to tell. It's pretty phenomenal. It's awesome. There's going to be big shoes to fill, that's for sure, for anybody who comes up and wants to take that challenge on. And it's awesome to be able to have a career um, like that. You know, again, she'll be right attitude. I am a person who doesn't take no for an answer. It's taken a lot of hard work, sweat, tears, eight operations, eight, eight surgery sports related to be able to succeed over that time so it didn't come easy but it was one that regardless of how good the year went and how hurt I was I was still up for the next challenge the following year so I kept getting up and I still wanted because I was so hungry I was so hungry to do better for this country so it's awesome that it is part of my story and it is part of my legacy that I leave behind yeah I I think we all uh, so proud of you and and so proud of what you've achieved you know certainly as a as a lover of sport and the storytelling of sport right one of the things that always lands on me is when someone's down and out it's Tom Brady he's done he'll never play again no how about this how about he joins another team and goes all the way to the Super Bowl and I'm interested was there a moment for you where you thought maybe this is it maybe it's over for me now but no maybe not <laughs> I think having kids <laughs> Having kids do that to you, um, you know, it's, I, th- I think everybody else wrote me off before I wrote, wrote myself off type of thing because I had my daughter in 2017, six months later, I had her via C-section, six months later I was at the Commonwealth Games and I won a silver medal. Then, when my, then the pandemic happened, I had my son and um, again, two kids, 37-year-old body, you know, I wasn't as like, um, well, I actually wasn't competing because I was back here and the pandemic hit and then I wasn't, you know, as physically strong or as good as I was uh, pre-babies. And the opportunity came up to possibly qualify for Tokyo. I was like, yeah, why not? Like, if anybody was going to do it, this idiot was going to do it. So I qualified <laughs> for Tokyo. And then I was like, this road to Tokyo, let's go. And if anybody, and my goal in Tokyo was to win a medal. I didn't care what color, but I had two kids who, you know, have taken the life out of me and ruined my body. But I wanted to, 
I wanted that last say. And, you know, I had been written off before that even happened or that journey happened. I said, screw you. If anybody wasn't going to do it, this idiot was going to do it. So Tokyo came along and I went and won my little bronze medal and had my two kids there, my bronze medal there. And it was the best feeling of my life. It felt like I'd won Mm. the gold medal just because of the journey that had taken for me to get here from the, you know, diagnosis of my son right through the training, the pandemic, and here we are in Tokyo, being able to win another medal, my fourth Olympic medal for this country was the most amazing Mm. thing ever. And that's when I knew that nobody else was going to be in charge of my destiny. I Mm. was going to be in charge of my future and what I was doing. Isn't perspective uh, an incredible thing? You know, you win gold medals and then you have this incredible challenge, you know, with your son. And then it changes everything. And then all of a sudden you're back on that stage winning a bronze medal and it means so much more because of what you've been through and the road that it's taken to get there. And I think that so many people can relate to that. You know, if if you're in the middle of some incredible, overwhelming challenge, you know, keep pushing, you know, keep going because, you know, what's on the other side will be far better than what's been before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, as mums, they come through, you know, uh, having a baby is not the end of the world um and that's the other thing you know it's just the start of life it's it's it doesn't stop you in 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 your tracks to be able to reach your goals or continue on living your 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 career and having that passion for it no it's just a part your bus is bigger now like you know your 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 paddy wagon is a lot bigger now with with a child in tow etc etc but I thoroughly enjoyed I mean it was very very painful and probably the most hardest campaign I've ever embarked on but it was the most fulfilling uh, campaign that I've ever embarked on. And, you know, it was such an overwhelming feeling. But for me, it's been able to set that example, be an inspiration for future athletes, female athletes who actually decide, hey, listen, I'm going to take a break this year to have a child and start a family. Because let's be honest, dudes turn up and it's a two minute job and off they go, continue on training the next day. For us, it's a little bit deeper than that. You know, it's nine months, it's body changing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's to be able to showcase the fact that you can do them all, you can have it all, and you can have both. As a Kiwi, I want to be optimistic about where we're heading, and I want to be optimistic about us as a society, looking to people that are achieving and going, it's amazing. So the funny thing is, you know, you go out there and you kick butt, but you almost want to be like, well, hold on, five minutes ago I was, I was done, you know, and now I'm out here winning medals. So how do you see us as a society kind of moving forward and moving away from that? Because it is, it's getting boring, you know, let's switch it up. Yeah, unfortunately we're bad for that as a society. It's something that I've experienced over my career for a very long time and um, even to, you know, <clears throat> to, to towards the end. But the biggest one was actually the funniest, it was not, it's funny now, but it wasn't at the time, was 2012 when I didn't when I won a silver medal. And then it was like the disappointment, you know, I, I should have won, I'm in better shape than this, etc. Seven days later, I won the Olympics. So this is like, you know, response from the public and the media. Seven days later, I won the Olympics, drug cheat, I got the gold medal, and then all of a sudden, I'm a national hero. Now, the impact that the seven days had on me mentally was insane. I had to leave the village. I went to Paris. I was just not in a good frame of mind because it was, I was disappointed. It was difficult. And, um, I try and also, you know, every opportunity I get, I also try and re- I try and reiterate to the public and the people who are listening that sports people go out there and they try their very best. They really do. They put their hearts on the line for this country because they want to make little old New Zealand proud. 
And just recently with these uh, Commonwealth Games happening, I've been able to see a little bit of that, how people post on Facebook and all the rest of it, like the Silver Ferns uh, lost against Jamaica. And someone had written like, what the F Silver Ferns, great job, Jamaica. I'm like, yeah, these are the types of comments that they were writing about me back then. And, and it's continuing. And I just really hope that people realize that, you know, they do have feelings, they're entitled to their opinion, but just think twice before writing something like that. Because everybody's out there doing their very best for this country. And I hope as a nation, we will move away from that as opposed to, you know, speaking like that. Hey, let's speak words of encouragement. Let's see, be, be there to help them because we're, we're already down. We're already down in the dumps, you know, and all you're doing is putting some more dirt on us to like push us right down. No, what you need to be doing is like standing on the sideline because first of all, it's really easy to sit here behind your little computer and tap. It's easy. Hmm. You're not sweating. You're not hurting. You're just like, hey, guys, you guys suck. No, actually, just simply, hey, listen, great job. Good luck for the next game or something. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, look, just in wrapping up, you are someone that I've really wanted to connect with uh, and really, as I said, amplify the message. So, you know, I, I am really stoked that we can have this conversation. You know, I know that it's uh, it's, an, it's an interesting time for you. You know, you've got a movie coming out. Yes. Uh, which I, I want to hear about. Like, what, what exactly is this? <laughs> what can you tell me? You know, like I've done a few film junkets, but this is, uh, this is one I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Um, so the movie's called More Than Gold. Um, obviously, it's uh, the movie title explains it all a little bit and it's pretty much a story of my life and the process throughout this movie has been quite um, interesting and uh, amazing at the same time because you have to be open and vulnerable you have to be transparent you have to be present while you're doing this movie and um, I know that because you know kids don't read anymore the youth don't read anymore I wrote a book back in 2012 and it was great because it was at a time where a lot of people were reading and they read your story and that was awesome where now this is another way to be able to share your story where it's more youth friendly where people will be able to sit there and, and, and watch the movie so basically it is about my life um, and I am very nervous but very excited about it because it's revealing, like it's quite revealing for me as in having everything that's happened in my life in this movie, in this short movie, so to speak. So I'm really excited. I hope um, it goes well and people enjoy my story. Yeah, well, look, this I think this chat is a testament to what a story it is, you know, and uh, I can't wait. As far as this next chapter that you are in now, you know, you've stepped away from, you know, working uh, as a pro professional athlete uh, and it's opened up so many doors to so much more and the adventure is just beginning you know so if you think about the future i, I personally am really optimistic about where we're heading mm -hmm. if, if for not for no other reason than we're having these robust conversations like this you know and look both of us have got a big smile on our face you know we're excited to be talking about what we're talking about because hopefully someone can listen to this and even if one person's listening and goes man that was cool man i learned something or i'm going to try something that's that's enough for me so when you think about the future and you want to stay in that lane of optimism as a Kiwi, as a proud uh, woman, as an incredible athlete, um, as a mother, you know, what are the things that really uh, get you excited about where we're heading? Um, there is a chance for change. Uh, there's a chance to make this world a better place and that we continue um, to be examples for the future generation coming through, and making sure we share our wisdom with them 
to give them a better chance. Life is hard, this world is hard, but it could be made easier with supportive people around them. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool because the way I like to think about it, it's not about supporting your brothers and your sisters and your friends and your family. It's just everyone, you know. The idea of when, just when you give, you live, you know. And and it's such a true statement, you know. And so the more that we support each other and carry and lift each other up, I just think the more more enjoyment we get out of life. Absolutely, absolutely. More than anything, um, Valerie, I just appreciate your time, your honesty, and your generosity, really. It was, uh, it was an incredible chat. i, I got to tell you right now, I'm really excited for, for this movie release uh, and just excited to continue to follow your journey. You know, we really appreciate your time, uh, your honesty, uh, and we'll look forward to doing it again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Just a real pleasure to spend time with Dame Valerie, DVA herself. The movie is called More Than Gold. It is available right now. Do yourself a favor, get a group together and go and get inspired by the one and only Valerie Adams. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. It means a lot to us. And don't forget, we would love to connect with you at wearewellbeings.com and wearewellbeings on your favorite social networks. Thank you so much to our producers, Hello Television, and we'll see you next time. 